Hey sister, welcome to season four of the Your Sorority Journey podcast. I'm Cassie, a sorority advocate and community enthusiast. After spending the last eight years traveling the country to experience sorority with sisters like you on your campuses and at your conferences, I started this podcast and her sorority journey to help you navigate the various seasons that sorority has to offer. From finding your place in sisterhood to running for officer positions, all the way to preparing for your career after graduation, This podcast is your guide on how to get the most out of your sorority and apply it to your goals in college. Thanks for inviting me along on your journey. Hey, Nikki, welcome back to the Your Sorority Journey podcast. Uh, For our listeners, this is not Nikki's first time on the podcast. We're so excited to just like continue our friendship, uh, her sorority journey, the parallel agency. Thanks for being here today, Nikki. Yeah, thank you so much. Thanks, folks. And thanks to all the listeners who are tuning in to listen to our story and talk about recruitment registration. Yeah, let's talk about it. I know uh, recruitment season, we're we're having this conversation in mid to late May, uh, but it's crazy how fast the recruitment season really like creeps up on you. And I think the conversation we're going to have today needs to be a proactive one. So uh, I think it's really important that even though recruitment might seem like, oh yeah, but that's like three months away. It's like, but the things we need to do to prepare for recruitment can't happen during pre-recruitment week. They can't happen during work week, spirit week. They need to happen now. But before we dive into that, Nikki, would you just tell us a little about about yourself and the work you do for the Parallel Agency? Yeah, definitely. So folks, Nikki here, she, her, hers. I'm coming at you live from Dallas, Texas, where I live and work. Um, And super excited to be here today to represent our team at the Parallel Agency. Um, So we are a full service consulting firm that specializes in organizational culture and change management through the lens of equity, access, and representation. So our mission is simple. We want what you say you do and what you actually do to be parallel. Hence the name. Um, and we work with folks all over the country. Uh, initially, we started working with Panhellenic sororities exclusively in um, topics related to equity and access and representation. And since then, our agency has just boomed and sky skyrocketed in many ways. So now we have different uh, departments that work with different sub subsections of people like fraternity and sorority life or residence life or tech companies or women on entrepreneurs. So um, it's been a great journey for us, but ultimately our mission has always stayed the same, which is to help you align your words with your actions so that they can be parallel. Uh, So super excited to be here to represent our amazing, wonderful team um, of eight amazing, wonderful women. So thanks, Uh, thanks, thanks for having us. Yeah, I love that. And I just, I've always loved the symbolism of y'all's brand. Uh, We're going to be the people we say we are by the way we live, not just by what we say. And like the imagery of being parallel, I think is so amazing. And Her Story Journey has a lot of imagery around it too. So I think that's another reason we've always jived so well. Uh, So the Parallel Agency recently hosted a webinar about how to revamp the recruitment registration form specifically for panhellenic recruitment how did that go i was so excited to see that on social media and i just love to hear how it went yes so one thing about our followers y'all is y'all are just gonna come and you are gonna engage and you're gonna rock it out we had over 100 people on this call oh that's so- awesome we, we put out this registration and we said, hey, you know, in the past six months, we've gotten probably half dozen um, calls, texts, emails about um, using some strategy hours, which is one of our services that we offer to help to revamp our form. And we were working with some of our current clients and they were like, hey, a lot of the same challenges are coming up. So we thought, why don't we just put something together um, and uh, share it with the masses? You know, one of the main things that we pride ourselves on is building the bench. It's great that we have eight team members who can educate folks in this area, who can help to elevate and uplift this work. But at the end of the day, we want our bench to be wider. We don't want it to be eight of us. We want it to be 800, 8,000, 8 million, right? Um, So we were like, hey, we're going to do this free webinar for people on this topic. So we had over 100 folks come from institutions all over the country. We had folks that were in chapters. We had folks that were Panhellenic delegates. We had people on Panhellenic council. And then we even had some advisors. Shout out to the advisors who came. And a few alumni. So yeah, it was awesome. 
Um, the session was about an hour. And if you've ever been to a session for our agency, you know that we are practical. We are super practical in what we deliver. Um, and a lot of the ways in which we deliver our content is actually through real life scenarios. So as opposed to saying like, you know, here is, you know, the issue around like, inclusion with your form. We're going to say, hey, here's what you're doing right now with your form. Here's the impact of the choices that we've made. And here's how we can do something differently. So we try to approach everything through a practical lens. Um, I think especially, you know, over the past couple of years, there's been a high focus on like addressing these socially complex issues. Yeah. And for organizations, we felt it a lot. Um, so our session was really focused on like, you know, what are these practical things that we think are like secondhand normal that are actually not normal? Um, and what can we do to decenter some of the things that are causing downstream and sidestream impact for our efforts around representation and equity and access? So yeah, overall session was really great. Loved it. There was a lot of really good takeaways I'm going to share today here on this podcast, because again, we're here to build the bench folks. So yeah. welcome our team. I, I love it. What were some of the, um, what were some of those common themes that y'all felt the need to really bring up on that call that you had noticed just from your different strategy calls? Like, I love that concepts of things that we think are normal, but just really aren't normal. Mm -hmm. Yep. First was time. How long does it take to fill out the form? We asked this question um, in our session and average time was about 45 minutes to an hour. Jeez. Now, I just want you to think about that, right? Like mm -hmm. listeners, 45 minutes to an hour. And it wasn't that the form was ridiculously long. It was all of the things that are in the form. The potential new member is second guessing, what do I submit for this? Because I don't know how the information is going to be used. Like a photo. I don't know who's going to see this photo. I don't know what the photo is for. So I'm going to spend a ton of time trying to find the perfect photo. Some people even said that they know potential new members or them themselves took photos just to submit or the Panhellenic Recruitment Registration Form. And that to me was mind blowing. But when I think about it, if someone were to ask me for a photo, the one thing I'd wanna see is a paragraph afterwards about what the photo's gonna be used for. Is this a photo so you know what my face looks like? Is this a photo that's gonna be on every single slide throughout the whole process? Is my name <laughs> tag? Like, is this gonna be like printed on the day? Like what's happening? <laughs> like, what is this photo for? And the number one thing that we saw outside of time was the lack of transparency in the form about how some of the things are being used. And yeah. we had some come to higher power moments during our session about like, if we're asking people to submit things, i.e. Um, answers to an, like an essay question about why they wanna be in a sorority. And then we as Panhellenic don't actually give that to anybody. What does that do for us? Is one, right? It's a, right? But there's also a power dynamic associated with that. And there's some equity issues around us gathering information and harboring some information um, and not using it, but still having it a part of the process. It's almost like this like prove it mentality, which again, seems a little icky, right? So those were the two main things, the timing and then the transparency around the form. All those came up in a lot of different ways, but I would yeah. say- things that were not surprising, but really consistent. Yeah. And I feel like I find myself coming back to this a lot in a lot of different spheres, not just sorority, also relationships or career building, right? I am a strong believer that clarity breeds confidence when we have a ton of understanding and like sometimes even like information overload about what to expect, when to show up, what to wear, what what to say in certain situations or who else is like weighing in on those conversations, we can walk into spaces, relationships, new jobs, first day of classes with so much more confidence 100%. in who we are and what we're bringing to the table because we know how we know all the players of the game. Right. And I think the same is true for sorority recruitment. Right. And as a, some, many of our, potential new members are not even in college yet, right? They haven't even seen like the landscape of what it's going to look like to be a part of this organization. They don't know the ins and outs. Many are going to be first-generation Greek students. Some of them are even first-generation college students. They don't even know what it means to be a disorder, but they know they want to belong. And now they are being like going through these hoops that I think some of the transparency we are just even assuming 
is understood, right? Oh, we don't need to explain this, but think about how much peace of mind and confidence that would actually bring our potential members. And we espouse that that's our goal, right? Is to give our potential members confidence. So I love that you guys had that conversation. Was there anything that came up on the webinar that your attendees brought up that was a surprise to you? Something y'all hadn't thought about being a challenge or a, a barrier to even changing the recruitment form? Yeah. So a lot of it again was around timing and them just thinking through some of those pieces in a way that's like, hmm, maybe this is not our best thought process. But one of the things that I don't think our team necessarily considered originally when putting the session together was this notion of a lot of people are using their either ICS, my campus director platform as their registration. So what they're literally doing is copy pasting from the year before, and they don't actually know the functionality around what can be done, what can be inserted, what can be taken out. And if that is the first place we should be sending people. So like, is, is this form that takes people right now, 45 minutes to complete, is that where we should be sending every single person we interact with that wants to potentially join a sorority? So I think it was, it was really, it was really interesting there and really in enlightening from the perspective of like, when we think registration form, you know, there's so many different ways that that could be conceptualized. And for a lot of people, they were thinking about their landing page that comes from ICS or my campus director. And a lot of the ways in which we approached that was like, hey, this could be that it's a yes and, right? This and something else, which I'm happy to talk sure. about later within the episode because I do think that there's a lot of things that we could consider. But overall, I think it was just that that total misstep of like, oh, they're talking about the landing page on ICS. Um, and they're and they're literally copy pasting it from the year before right. and created that that content, you know, eight years ago. They just keep using it over and over. Yeah. So that, that um, knowledge gap around like, what is the actual functionality? And like, I'm no expert on ICS or my campus director, shout out to the peeps that do that. That's not me. Totally. Yeah. Um, but that I think was something that I learned that I didn't necessarily think of originally is like people were looking at it from, from the lens of, I'm talking about my ICS landing page, as opposed to all of the other things that could funnel into that, which is where we spent a lot of time. Yeah. I think that's, that's super interesting. And I, I want to talk about that funnel here quick because I don't think many of us do think about that, where to send someone who comes up to us, maybe even in the first weeks of campus. And they're like, hey, I'm interested in joining a sorority as a recruitment counselor. And you're wearing your Rogue Gamma, Pi Chi recruitment counselor shirt, right? And uh, an affiliated gal walks up to you and says like, hey, I'm interested in joining a sorority. It's like, oh, hey, register for recruitment here. Not Maybe, maybe they have some more questions that they need to dive into. Um, and I think that's really valuable. Do you want, do you want to start talking about kind of pivot what, what the, some of those suggestions you guys had, or maybe even thoughts some of the attendees brought up were? Yeah, definitely. So I think the first thing is a workflow. We love a good checklist. Our checklist and Panhellenic sorority are the size of a CVS receipt, y'all. Like we, <laughs> we put them together and we can say like, these are all the things we do, we, we do. And we operationalize it. We put in Canva. We make it look great, right? Right, we, right. <laughs> one of the things that I think is a swing and a miss for us often is the workflow. We are mm. really good about checking the box in a lot of ways, sometimes not helpful ways. But when we think about the workflow, and when we think about the workflow, we have to address and we have to understand that there are systems of inequity that exist on college campuses that continue to perpetuate dominance. So when we hear about like dominant culture, Panhellenic sorority, I would argue, probably has the most social capital on any campus. I don't I care agree. if you go to a school with 60,000 people or if you go to a school with 1,000 people, your Panhellenic sorority community is has probably the largest social capital on the campus. That's over athletics, that's over student government, that's over everything. And I think we need to come to an understanding that we have a very large presence, um, sometimes a very large body of people, but a very large presence. And that presence gives us access and opportunity to space and to people that other organizations, other sororities that are not a part of Panhellenic, like local organizations, historically black organizations, multicultural organizations, culturally based organizations, lots of different sororities and when women first experiences their 
on predominantly white campuses, they are coming to our Panhellenic to be like, I want to do this because we have the exposure, we have that. So I think the first thing is to really dive deep and understand how can our workflows be a part of a process that is both well-intended and well-informed. Because mm. I believe that we want to do the right thing. I believe we want to be inclusive. I believe we want to be representative. I believe we want to make people feel like they matter. I do not believe that our efforts are always rooted in being well-informed. And as a result, we continue to do things that work for us because they work for us. So the first thing that came up was if a potential new member is interested in a sorority, do you assume that you know what they want? Assumption comes in many forms, right? You could assume they want to be in a panel line sorority because they came up to you. You could assume that they want to be, that they want to go through the formal process or the primary process, whenever that is. Two assumptions that we often make. And what do we do? We send them the registration link for- Register here. Yeah. Link in bio. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And typically there's not a lot of information on there. It's just give us all your information, but we're giving you nothing essentially. Mm -hmm. The first thing that we talked about was operationalizing that workflow. What does it look like to have a stopgap? What does it look like to create some sort of campaign or some sort of QR code that takes people to a form? Four easy questions. What is your name? Uh, what is your year in school? What is your email? And um, what kind of process are you interested in? That fourth question, really important. Do you want to go through a formal process? Um, do you want to go through an informal process? Are you unsure? Then when we operationalize that workflow, we take all the people that are like, oh, I want to go through a formal formal process. We operationalize that. We put some, some zaps on Zapier behind it. And we automatically give them emails that directs them directly to the formal recruitment registration form because that mm -hmm. is what they said they want. But then we have this whole other swing of people that are like, hey, I'm interested in informal. Great. We don't ever need to send them things about the formal process. Don't bombard them with information they don't want and give them things that they need in order to be successful. That's when we talk about DE&I work, that's really what it is, right? That third population of people that I'm unsure population of people, what does it look like to put together a, a 30 minute slide deck and do the same session uh, every other week throughout the summer and into the fall semester? And it is Here's the difference between the fall process. Here's the difference between the, the spring process. Here's the informal process. Here's the more formalized process. Here are all the ways that you can join a Panhellenic sorority. And here are all the sororities on our campus. And here yeah. are the ones that participate in our process. If you are not interested in joining one of the ones that you see here on the screen, here's where you can go to find out more about those processes. Yeah. As simple as thinking holistically about what is the user end experience, right? When we go into the real world, we think about user end experience and yeah. the potential new member is the user in this case. Yeah. So how do we think about that from the user end experience and provide an experience that is meaningful to them and for them, not necessarily grounded in what we want, which is that typical form. So that's the first thing that came up um, that I think would would really be impactful for us to think about how we think about our workflow to get people into our process and into our flow more effectively. That is so good. I, if you think about putting a Google form together, anytime you've ever done that, right? You're just like, personally, not even for sorority, right? It's very easy to write down like name, email, year, like Nope. It's very easy to like, or even some of the more complicated questions, like, why do you want to be in a sorority? Like, please like attach your resume, like, please list your, like, whatever the questions are nowadays. And maybe it's not even a nowadays thing because we're recycling the form from eight years ago. So maybe it's the same form that I went through with, right? <laughs> About <laughs> what you want to get out of the process and what your, how you define sorority or sisterhood, whatever we're asking, Right. That's a lot easier to write that kind of a question than it is for the user to fill it out, right? Like, exactly. Those questions, those like long form questions, whenever you fill out a Google form, it just takes you an extra beat to be like, oh, I have to think about this. Like I want to put my best foot forward and ensure that I like have all my ducks in a row before I do this. That's potentially hindering people from even going through the process or getting more information about the process that they're interested in. How much more informed if you think those questions are still, still really relevant to be asking throughout the process because you're using that information for whatever reason. I love that you brought up, are we even using these responses to these questions? So uh, and exhibit A to 
reconsider. <laughs> so many people on our webinar were like, we're not using the responses. Yeah. We don't actually give them to people. We don't like chapters don't actually have access to this information. And if they do have access chapters, we're like, yeah, we don't use it. So well, then it becomes yeah. like so much extra work for nothing. Like why? And and like, it's so vulnerable for this, these potential members, like put all your cards out on the table, but we're going to hold all of ours. There's no, I think that talking about the power dynamic is really important, but think about how easy or how simple it would be to say like, yes, this is my name. I know my name. I know my email address. I know what year I am at school. And I know the kinds of processes that I am, am or not interested in, or that I'm interested in being a part of a sorority, but I don't know how I want to get there. So I'm going to say unsure, right? There could even be like a, a fifth question, maybe you guys talked about this or like, would you be interested in attending a webinar? Like what dates are you available to like learn more? Right. Like also really easy of why, what they might do with this information in saying like, oh, there's an opportunity for me to learn more before I go pay $150 for an experience yeah. that I don't even know if this is the right route for me. Right. I think that really changes the conversation around accessibility and confidence for a potential member's because we are very comfortable looking at the experiences like, oh, we have these 300 to 3,000 interested potential new members who want to join us. They need to cater to us versus how do we want to make them feel when they join us? We want them to be a part of us, not, oh, you worked to get here. And I think that's a really great initial step to change the narrative in their process in. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, think about it. Like, you know, if you, if you were looking for, let's say an apartment, okay. So you're looking for some place to live. Are you going to go off and apply for six, seven, eight apartments? No, but you know what, you, but you know what you are going to do? You're probably going to go to apartments.com, download that app. When that first screen comes up and says, what's your name? What's your email? Where are you looking for an apartment? And what is- Where do you want to live? Yeah. <laughs> and then in turn, you know what you get? Emails, notifications about what you have set your parameters as. Yeah. That allows you to make an informed decision. We need to take what we see in other things and bring it to our process. Because our process, our table, it was not built for everyone to be successful. And yeah. our process was largely built to keep the people that we want and keep the people out that we don't want. And we're still employing that process years and years and years on end. And we're kind of in this weird intersection right now where there's a lot of discrepancy and a lot of gap areas around like, hey, I don't know if we should be doing that. So as we think about our processes, we need to compare them to things that we, that we engage in in everyday real world and figure out how can we make this more user-friendly and yeah. how can we make the potential new member feel like they matter? What matters to me when I go through a process that's similar? If I apply for a job and I don't get any kickback email, thank you for applying, here's next steps. You, you, you know what I think? Nobody's looking at that application. I just spent yeah. all the time and nobody's doing anything. That is largely our process. We have yeah. no workflows that operationalize or actualize making people feel like they matter. And our session really talked about how do you do that in a way that's meaningful for people through what you already know about yourself and other people. Well, and I think a big disappointment in that too, is we really claim that we're cultivating strong members and women for society because we're putting all these things in place to help them understand the real world, but we're still operating in the dark ages as it comes in terms of technology. Right. And I think that opera, 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 help me with that word, opera, operation. Operationalizing. Yes. I'm like, it was right there. Uh, operationalizing our, and those workflows is that next step. And it would be so impressive to a future employer. Okay. That was the first thing that we think is normal. That's not normal. Not having workflows. What was the second thing that you were going to say? Yeah. So I think not having the workflow pieces, the, the, the second piece is around the transparency. So like yeah. specific questions that we ask Typically, there's no additional information. The photo. The photo is a great example. There's a lot of people that are asking for a photo. Please upload a photo here. But there's no subsection on what is the photo actually used for. So yeah. I'm a practical person, folks. I pulled it up here. I'm about to read it. I'm about to read you what we recommended that you include 
for if you are doing a photo. Now this is six of one, half dozen of the other, right? If they don't submit a photo, we know you're gonna go online and find them. So at, at, there's you know some, some narrative around like, how do we do this? How does it make sense? I'm not on either side of the fence about the photo, but if you're gonna do the photo, here's what we recommended. What would it look like if somebody said, situation A, please upload a photo, or situation B, please upload a photo, and it reads, each year, we have roughly a thousand people that participate in this process to help personalize things and make sure that we can make a face to a name match. We ask all of our potential new members to upload a photo. This photo can be viewed by each of the chapters and most of them use it to keep track of their interactions with you. When uploading your photo, consider a photo that clearly shows your face. We'd recommend a photo that is high resolution, that is focused on you. You can crap out other people if you need to. As a reference point, your photo is not used as an evaluation metric for this process. P.S. Most people use their LinkedIn profile picture. So if you have one, we'd recommend using that. Boom. Which one would you want to be? Option A or option B? Option A, I might close the form. I might just exit that baby out and be like, I'm stressed. I don't know what kind of photo they want. It's too much for me. I'm stressed. You may lose people and you may lose people for questions that are not clearly articulated as to why you need the information, right? So scenario mm -hmm. B, it, it operationalizes it, it actualizes it, but most importantly, it's person first. Yeah. And it allows us to demystify and redistribute power in a meaningful way, which is our definition of equity. How do we redistribute power in a meaningful way? So a lot of times people are like, cool, DEI work, let's do a workshop. Not everything is a workshop. And in this case, this is a practical example of how you can showcase what does it look like to continue doing what you're doing in a way that is elevated, advanced, and uplifted, and really rooted in this work, as opposed to saying, well, we do a workshop on this twice a year, so we're good. But if you're doing a workshop on this twice a year, and you're still have a lot of um, parameters around the photo and potential new members don't know what they're getting into through your formal recruitment process, you have not actualized the work. Um, yeah. so this is a really good example. And for a lot of people, they were like, oh my gosh, can you go back to that slide? We want to screenshot this. Absolutely. DM us on Instagram. We'll give it to you directly because we think everyone should be using this if they're asking for some sort of photo. I just, I can't get over the clarity and the, like, even the demystifying of the process yep. that come just from that description. It's like, oh, they're tracking my conversations. That's how they're keeping track of who I am. Like that just as a concept seems so foreign for recruiters to say like that they would ever track a PNM's conversations, but it's like, how else do they remember who you are or how the mutual selection process is going to work? That's beautiful. I, I want to think, I want to pick your brain even about what some other barriers might be beyond the recruitment form that recruitment counselors, panelinic officers, fraternity and sorority advisors could think about in these next couple months before fall primary recruitment or the next six months before uh, any primary recruitments that are happening for campuses in January, February. Um, what are some other barriers that are barriers primarily to potentially members' confidence and autonomy in the process that could potentially be deferring them from even being interested in recruitment as you see? Yeah, yeah. So I think there's two, okay? The first one is around the marketing, all right? Now, some of you are going to hear this and you're going to be clapping or snapping when you're, when you're listening to this on your way to work or class. Some of you are going to hear this and you're going to be like, I cannot believe she just said that. And you may shut this off. Do not shut it off. Because what I'm about to say is important. The bathing suit picks are not cutting it, y'all. <laughs> the bathing suit picks are not cutting it. The blowing glitter is not cutting it. The, the yacht photos are not cutting it. They're not cutting it for me. And they're not cutting it for anybody else. Okay? So as we think about the marketing efforts, it's really important to think about the tangible examples that we have that are catering to a particular population of people which goes into the framework that we use for virtually everything when we talk about DE&I. Who do we allow? Who mm. do we account for? And who do we encourage? 
Who do we allow in Panhellenic sorority? That's obviously different based upon the member organization. Okay, some member organizations have parameters and stipulations around transgender membership, gender non-binary people, um, and the definition of woman. I'm not going there. That's for a whole nother podcast. Um, but this middle piece, who do we account for, is all of our marketing efforts. Who do we account for? So a lot of times, what comes up in this is like, well, we want to we want to show diversity. I'm not I'm not here for that. In fact, I would not recommend that especially when your organization is not diverse. I would Hello. not recommend I would not recommend that we tokenize our members who are not part of dominant culture because then that then in turn creates narrative around those experiences most often false narrative for yeah. what that what that is and how it exists. What I would recommend is for us to consider who do we account for? So when we are putting up a photo, who does this appeal to? Who are we mm -hmm. marketing when you're putting a picture of you and your friends on vacation, you know who that markets towards? Other people who go on vacation regularly that can recognize that as a photo of you on vacation. You know who that doesn't market towards? People who don't go on vacation for whatever reason. And I want you to start to think about what might be the reasons why people are not vac vacationing every month, every other weekend. What might be some of those reasons? They could be financial reasons. They could be um, identity reasons. They could be based upon who they are as a person. They can't travel out of the country um, because they might not be able to come back. Like there's a lot of things to consider around those things. So when we think about what's the photo, it's not just that you posted this really fun, flirty, sexy photo of you and your friends on vacation. What are the implications when that's all we see on the social mm -hmm. media? And yeah, how yeah. in turn does that in put us in a space where we are accounting for a certain population of people. You could tell me all day long that this process is for everyone. But when I go on your Instagram page and I only see highly affluent, high, highly beautiful people by Western standards on your Instagram page, I, if I don't fit those categories, I do not, whatever you say to me is null and void because it's what mm. I'm experiencing. It's what I may be able to see that matters to me. And I'm going to anchor in my own opinion based upon what I see. So the first thing, that's an unwritten norm around like the marketing efforts, the bait and suit picks, they're not cutting it. Um, so thinking about what do we showcase on social media and who are we trying to impress? Because for a lot of our efforts, we are literally trying to impress each other. We are not trying totally. to impress potential new members. We are trying, We're to, trying to like one up our other chapter. So like, I think that's like a, that's really valuable, especially for chapter marketing yep. right because we are marketing uh aspirational experience right we aren't ma marketing sisterhood it's like you come join our chapter and you can vacation this frequently and you can be this beautiful it's like we are not that's not a come as you are message at all i i'm i'm over here snapping and nodding along because uh, i've been preaching this for years and i and i and i'm so glad that you really put the the depth behind it it's not just because that's a un, maybe unattainable or unrealistic standard but it's actually not it's actually creating a disparity between who is interested in our organizations that's that's really helpful and i think it's it's one thing on your personal social media to be like I had the amazing opportunity to go on this trip with my mom or i am like really feeling this new haircut right like go off like you live your life on your personal social media but for any chapter or panhellenic marketing officers be really thoughtful when you are evaluating everything that's in the photo circle right of what images that have been uploaded are actually going to grow your organization right yeah. and who is it that's going to see that and how are they going to feel when they see that right and i think Oh, I just, I got to say it, Cass. I got to say it. And don't ask your members to submit photos to you because when people submit photos to you and then you keep choosing the same people over and over again, people are not going to submit photos to you. And then you're only getting the photos that you end up sharing out anyways. So if you want something, you need to ask for it, right? Closed mouths don't get fed. So if you are saying, I, I know that Nikki is involved in ROTC, I want Nikki to send pictures of her engaging with ROTC so that we can highlight Nikki, you need to email Nikki and say, Nikki, can you please send me photos of you in ROTC? Not please send photos at chapter meeting. It's not going to work like, like that. And I think even taking that one step further to be like, hey, Nikki, we are really proud to have you as a member of our chapter and would love to highlight 
your experience in ROTC because we hope that potential new members who are looking at our page will just like feel connected to like you as a member. Right. And I think that why is helpful too. So they're like, well, why do you want to like feature me? That's like kind of, if, if members feel that way. And I think, um, just like really, I, I think being really intentional and thoughtful to not feature the same people over and over. And granted the, uh, the Panhellenic chapter and council PR gal probably has the hardest job. Like, I'll give you that. Like there will never be a larger group of critical people around an Instagram having run like several social media accounts for different companies and brands. I am confident that I will never get as much feedback as a chapter Panhellenic like PR Instagram manager, right? Because there are so many critical eyes and opinions because they are looking, like you said, Nikki, at their friends' chapters, Instagram saying, well, why don't we post more stuff like this? Or like on like very affluent, beautiful gals' accounts or chapters' accounts in different parts of the country saying, well, I wish we looked like this, right? I think there's even a deeper layer beyond the marketing of someone being in charge of capturing those amazing moments that you do have together in chapter meetings at sisterhood events, at philanthropy events, being active on campus, giving like someone that job at every event to be like, Hey, you're in charge of snapping pics of everyone in the chapter at this event. So that they, those moments are what you're marketing with. You're marketing your reality. You're not marketing an aspirational version of sorority or sisterhood. Mm, I love that. I I love that. And when I think about this concept of like aspirational version, another thing that comes to my mind is also like the lookbook. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Here is what you can wear. Now, the lookbook comes in many forms. If you're in a chapter, it may be, here's what my recruitment chair gave to me on what I'm going to wear each day. It may be a PowerPoint uh, slide deck. It may be something similar. That's like, here are options for you to wear. If you're potentially curated on Canva. Oh, absolutely. Um, and, and well-intended, right? Yeah. Time putting, putting together some thoughtful pieces around what needs to be included in the lookbook. How can we make sure that our outfits are, you know, important for people and make them feel like, you know, they feel included and that body types have been taken into consideration, all these things again, well-intended, but the, the baseline level of that is still show up like this. The message is still show up like this. So one of the things that we talked about in our webinar was instead of giving people a lookbook, whether it's a member of a chapter or a potential new member for here's what you can wear on day one, here's what you can wear on day two, or here are examples, what would it look like if instead we said day one is sisterhood day? On day one, we want you to wear something that makes you feel confident and casual. Bing, boom, done. And those are those are your words. So if you want to put it on a PowerPoint slide, instead of the options for the outfits, you say confident and casual. Now, here is again the hang up. I know there's a lot of times that people are like, oh, I saw, I saw this person walking with you know their heels in their hand. Haha, <laughs> they couldn't wear their heels. You know why? Because they had no idea how much walking they would be doing. You know why they didn't know? Because you didn't tell them. Mm. So consider when we think about the lookbook, shifting from here's what you should wear to here's how you should feel. And here's what the day is going to look like. So scenario, ready, steady, go, scene. You can say the first day is sisterhood day. And we want you to wear something that makes you feel confident and casual. Um, You will be going from house to house and there will not be transportation provided. So you will be walking from house to house. Um, The longest distance between the houses is probably about a half a block to a block. Um, And there are 13 houses that you will walk through throughout the entire day. That is a very different picture than here's day one. We want you to wear jeans and we'll give you a shirt to wear. um, And you can wear whatever jewelry or whatever stuff you want, right? So thinking really practically again about user experience and how do we mystify. um, Those are really tangible examples of what you can do in order to change what you're doing to center equity and access to make people feel like they matter. Yeah, I love that. And even think about how much more diverse not to like keep throwing that word around but think about how much more diverse the outfits would even be right or like the range because there isn't a well 
I saw the Pinterest board and most of the like Pinterest ideas for at least for potentially member on round one were sundresses. So I wore a sundress because that's what everyone else was wearing in the Pinterest boards. Like maybe you feel more comfortable in like cute shorts and a white tee, right? Maybe that's what your version of confident and casual is, right? Um, so thanks for bringing up the lookbook. I know you said there was a second barrier. The marketing yeah. was one. What was the second one? The lookbook. The lookbook. Okay, great. Yeah. We hit them. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm really glad you brought both of those up. Um, just want to make sure that I didn't like get you off track because you are a wealth of knowledge, Nikki. Um, I'm curious what you think going into the summer, um, specifically for any Panhellenic officers listening at like the organization level, um, even above that, like fraternity and sorority advisors who are wanting to support their officers really well. And then at the individual level, like recruitment counselors, what you think some takeaways or action items might be for them on these topics, these next couple months to go into the recruitment chaos, feeling really confident about the work that they've put in over the summer. Yeah. Yeah. So first of all, you're going to put in a ton of work and a ton of effort. And if you are in that space and at, and have that positionality, there's probably a lot of people telling you all the things that need to be fixed, changed, altered, all the things that suck. They are not coming to you being like, wow, thank you for spending 11 hours putting the schedule together so we could all be successful today. So yeah, one, I'm here to tell you that what you do matters and how you operationalize this to make it move is important. So this is me giving you your flowers in this moment for all the work that you're going to continue to do. As you think about things, when there are issues that come up, you want to try to figure out, one, how can you be person first? How can you center the person as opposed to the process? Because our process, more often than not, is the problem. So as you think about some things that may come up, whether it's with potential new members, whether it's with a recruitment counselor, whether it's with a chapter, whatever it is, and the first thing that's coming to your mind is, well, they're not following the rules. I want you to question the rule and who does it allow who does it account for and who does it encourage? And as we think about some of those things, we will begin to unpack and find the gap areas. So your role, when you think about making things move, in order to make things move, sometimes we have to question those things. So I want you to question yourself and the role that you have in these things, because your first round instinct is going to be, well, they didn't follow the rule. Or, well, this rule didn't happen or, you know, something happened and they didn't do what they were supposed to do. I want you to question why, why, why? And yeah. then again, who does this rule allow? Who does it account for? And who does it encourage? The second thing that I would recommend is that you keep notes of the way that things make you feel. Okay. Now, this is really, really important because there's a lot of stress associated with the recruitment process. There's a lot of stress around just the operations and the procedure of this process in general. And we spend a lot of time taking notes on what needs to be changed in the future. Mm, okay, yeah. Good. We love that. We love change. I'm all here for change. I'm a disruptor, y'all. Like, let's change everything. But on the same note, one thing we don't do is we don't journal or we don't reflect on the way that certain situations make us feel. And when we are stressed, we are more likely to make mistakes. And when we journal about our stress and our feelings associated with that, we can unpack some of the intricacies around that because when we are stressed, we are more likely to make mistakes and mistakes around inclusion are almost always irreversible. Mm. So as we think about that, yes, really important to take a list. Again, CVS style, y'all, we know we're real, real good at it, but are there certain things that become stress points and, and frankly triggers for us during the process that are a barrier as it relates to us talking to people like they're people. I think about some of these things around like when we are having potential new members maybe come into your room, come into your chapter house and we are stacking or we are pairing them, right? I don't know what you call it on your campus. That sometimes is stressful, right? Because if people are out of order, then they don't get paired, quote unquote, with the, with the, with the quote unquote right person. And then it becomes, well, we got to fix this. Well, they got to bump. Well, they got to do all these things. And it becomes stressful. And when we're stressed, we're focused on our stress, not on the person in front of us. And when we're stressed, we're more likely to make mistakes like nonverbals. We're more likely to make mistakes like asking one question instead of maybe some follow-ups that we should. 
we're more likely to make mistakes like listening to respond as opposed to listening to understand. So yeah. that would be my biggest recommendation is to journal how you are feeling as a result of, of situations and unpack some of the feelings that are intertwined with the stress that you are having to see what can be changed about the process for the future, because it yeah. is not normal to be this stressed about the process and it is not normal to feel that overwhelmed. So I think we need to begin to normalize that that's not normal and figure out what do we need to do as leaders to change this. The only way we're going to be able to do that is to actually unpack the intricacies around your own process. Mm, I love that the concept of this isn't normal keeps coming up in this conversation because I mean, even with, I mean, the day our episode airs is the same day the Bama Rush documentary is coming out. And I think, um, I also could be, it's a whole, it's whole own episode, but I think the reason even there is so much like heightened attention around the sorority experience and the recruitment experience at the University of Alabama is because it's so uh, dissimilar to anything else we see in society. And, um, and that's not to say that those organizations do not aspire to the same values and uh, experiences and belonging that our national organizations do as show as they show up across the country. It's just the way that's like carried out is so dissimilar that there is like this heightened interest that is ultimately going to impact the like interest of sorority across the country. But I, I love that we keep talking about the concept of what is normal, not in the sense of like trying to make sorority like not fun, like the business world, but trying to actually make this like a really fun sisterhood experience that we, we want to extend to new members every single year. We want to make that transferable into the rest of their lives. We want to make it cohesive with their experiences applying for a job or looking for an apartment or whatever else is going to come up. And so I just really appreciate you making that so tangible and I love even like the, the, the journaling about how does this make you feel? Not like an action list of like, okay, we need to like change this. Feelings can get changed into action, right? That that's not to say that the action doesn't need to come, but understanding the feeling first, I think even gives it more impetus to like, oh, this has to change because there is a feeling behind it. Not just because this was clunky or the logistics were funky. This actually made me feel a certain way. And if I felt this way, can you imagine how a potential new member felt? Um, and I would even encourage, maybe it, maybe it's a Panhellenic vice president of recruitment or the Panhellenic uh, recruitment counselors chair, whoever that is, to schedule a kind of meeting to unpack those feelings with the yeah. recruitment counselors at large or the recruitment chairs at large after recruitment, give it a minute, like take your breath, but like find some time a couple of weeks after bid day while those feelings are still fresh to get them documented so that change can be taken. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, I'm y'all, I'm not a journaler. I'm not someone that's going to carry around a notebook, but you know what I do use voiceover memo. Mm. I just send it to myself. I will voice over how I feel in a particular moment, even if I'm leaving work and I'm walking out in the parking lot, I will voice over for two minutes. I will send it to myself. And then that way I'll go back to it and be like, okay, yeah, that's how I felt on that, on that day. So when we have the same event in two weeks, what am I going to do differently this next time? to feel differently about it because we forget, right? Yeah. So journal, we don't necessarily mean pick up your pen, right? And journal about these things. It could be a voiceover. It could be knowing that you need to set reminders in your calendar. So they come up on your phone. Like there's a lot of different ways for you to actualize it. But I think really anchoring in those feelings are the most important thing. Because at the end yeah. of the day, I have no doubt. I have no doubt that we want to create a process where people feel like they matter. We want to create sense of belonging. My follow-up question to that is always sense of belonging for who? And what we do needs to be both well-intended and well-informed. And I'm confident that if we can look at things from a critical lens, like a recruitment registration form, we can begin to unpack the intricacies around the barriers that exist and how in turn we can make those better. Um, we can lower those walls um, so that we are in turn creating a space where more people feel like they matter. So I'm super thankful that we got to talk about this today and share all these good ideas and thoughts and process it out. Yeah, me too. Um, before you leave, I would just love for our listeners or watchers, if you're watching this on YouTube, to know how they can go deeper with the parallel agency or what implementing some of these strategies at more 
organizational wide scale would look like or at an individual scale would look like with you? Yeah, awesome. So you can find our team, www.beparallel.co. That's co, C-O, don't do com, or you're going to go to another agency that's not ours. If you see, if you're able to see on the screen a sea of blue, you are in the right place, okay? Um, so like I said, we have a team of eight folks, which means we um, work with clients very robustly across the country. Um, we've worked with almost 85, I think it's 86 now, um, people across the country around these areas, and about 80% of those folks are on college campuses. So um, you can do that through a variety of ways with us. We do trainings, we do educational sessions, we do some data analysis with you around belonging surveys, culture assessments, all those pieces. The one thing that we do offer that I think really helps to actualize the work is strategy hours. So it is not uncommon for many Panhellenic councils to have a relationship with us where they pre-purchase and invest in strategy hours that they use over the course of a year. That means you get on a call like this, you say, Nikki, our topic today is recruitment registration form. We need to actualize some things, some tangible things. What can we do to change these? And we work through those in real time, um, up to two hours at a time over Zoom. So that's definitely something um, that you could take advantage of um, and work with our team on. Um, we have four strategists on our team now. So lots of folks that can help to support you in that area. Typically turnaround time is like less than a week. So if you need a session on Tuesday, we are typically able to get that to you before next Tuesday. You just schedule with us and make it happen. But the really cool thing that I think is probably super impactful for a lot of you listening, particularly those of you that are like, Nikki, I'm an individual contributor. Like I want to do better. I want to be better, but I'm not sure what I could do if I don't maybe have a position. Number one, you matter. Number two, your influence matters. And number three, yeah. something for you here. Yeah. So we are launching a brand new membership, a subscription, if you will, uh, called Parallel Plus. So this is a membership for student leaders that want to make people feel like they matter. I'm speaking to people who want to be inclusive leaders. I'm speaking to people who want to um, find practical ways to address these socially complex issues. I'm speaking to people that, that want to really move the needle in their organization. This membership is for you. It is, I want you to think of it like Disney Plus, right? You pay a subscription, you get access to all these things. That's exactly what Parallel Plus is going to be. 12, 12 bucks a month is two coffee runs. Maybe one if you're me and you like to get breakfast and coffee. So <laughs> you can invest in yourself. Maybe one. Invest in, in your development, in your growth, and we'll help you get there. So if there are things that we can do to help to support you, check out our strategy hours, um, check out our in-person visits that we do for consulting and training, and then check out Parallel Plus, which is going to be launching in August of this year, 2023. So again, thank you so much for having me on today. Super excited to be able to chat with you, Cassie. As always, you're just a gem and a shining light, and I'm so happy to be able to share space with you and all of your wonderful, amazing listeners. Oh, well, we, Her Story Journey feels the same way about you, Nikki, and always just appreciate your friendship. Uh, I'm really excited about Parallel Plus because I think that is really in line with y'all's brand of making um, actual change accessible for individual contributors of our organization. So thank you for creating that space. Um, and thanks for coming on. I hope you have an awesome rest of your day. Thank you. However you listen, whether on your walk to class or drive to work, during your workout, or just while you're getting ready in the morning, thank you for tuning in to the Your Story Journey podcast today. If you resonated with this episode in any way, it would mean the world if you would tell a friend about it. Either share this episode to your Instagram story, throw the link to listen in your chapter or executive council group chat, or write a review on Apple Podcasts so more sisters can find guidance on their sorority journey just like you did. As always, sister, we are here for you and can't wait to chat again next week.